Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Ireland Creates, our very last one for 2021. If this is your first time listening, thanks for joining us. Each week I will speak with creatives based here in Ireland or with a connection to Ireland about their lives, their creative practice and of course what storytelling means to them. I'd like to take a moment before we get into this week's episode proper just to say Thank you to each and every one of my guests on the podcast over the course of this past year. I honestly can't believe we're at the end of the year, but I did thoroughly enjoy speaking with you all. And I know our listeners will agree that hearing the story behind the work is always an interesting experience. I'd also like to thank you for listening and for your support with the podcast this year. From pep talks and support on social media to financial donations, you are an very important and special group and I really do appreciate your support. Ireland Creates will be back in January 2022. That's a bit of a mouthful. We're going to have to get used to saying that. Uh, So please do stay tuned and stay following or subscribed, whatever it is on your chosen podcast platform. And now on to this week's guest and I hope you enjoy hearing her story. So my name is Lucy Cullen and I am a Wicklow-based artist. Uh, I work mostly in figurative art, uh, but also do minimal line art as well. Well, Lucy Cullen, thank you for joining us on this week's episode of Ireland Creates uh, to Season 2. I'm delighted to have you as a guest on the show. It's great to be here. I've been very excited for this. So, Lucy, you and I met when we both took... uh, quite possibly a crazy decision um, to go uh, back to college and do a postgrad in the middle of a global pandemic um, in Trinity not so long ago. But um, take me back to um, what brought you to art in the first place. Who is Lucy Cullen? God, that's a that's a big question. Um, I think for so long art was a hobby and uh, becoming an artist was kind of like like a dream like it was like I might as well be saying I want to be Snow White when I grow up like it was a mythical creature and so I always did it as a hobby and kind of even when I was doing um, when I was picking my college courses I studied art history in UCD um, instead of going to art college because I was just like no art college is for artists and I'm going to study the art though Um, and then after that uh, yeah I've done so many things like I've done makeup artistry and special effects as well and all along the way, kind of trying out different uh, jobs and bits and bobs and stuff. And then it was only about two or three years ago that I had a really stressful job um, and just decided that I would just go and try and do my art. And I was just, it's kind of funny, people say I'm brave, but at the time it kind of felt like the only option. Uh, like it was just so obvious to me at the time, I didn't care how much of a risk it was. Um, I just knew I wanted to do it. Um, And then coming across the postgrad, which is where I met you, was like all the pieces slotting in together. Do you know, it was kind of like the next stepping stone just seemed really obvious as soon as I found that. So take me back to when you were younger. And I know you said that you you went to do art history, but like, were you the typical arty child? Did you enjoy like art class in school and stuff like that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Loved art. And uh, my family would be quite creative and stuff like that. Like, you know, like 
all of us, my sister paints, my little sister's lino and ju- makes jewelry and things. And then even my brother, who's actually in graphic design, also went through a space of doing like ink drawings and line art. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing, really. But like I, I always loved art and getting like homemade presents was just my my forte <laughs> uh, and all that kind of stuff. So. But yeah, as I got older and another thing I didn't do my I didn't do art for my junior cert either because my older sister did art for the junior cert and she told me how hard it was and how scary it was. And I remember just watching her trying to get her portfolio or I think it's a project at junior cert level. Um, and I just was like, OK, n- note to self, I'm not going to do art for the junior cert. And then in my school in transition year, what they do is they kind of make you go back and do modules in all different subjects like Spanish and HE and all that kind of stuff. So you can choose what you want to do for your leaving cert. And when it came around to me doing my module in transition year, uh, loads of people were like, why did you not do art for the junior cert? And I was like, oh, I didn't think, yeah, I just didn't think I was good enough to do it. I didn't think um, that was a possibility because I am, um I went to two different secondary schools and the way the subjects worked out in the first secondary school I had to drop art because I felt I was better at music Um, yeah and then I went and realized had I gone to the second secondary school first I could have done both which for me was heartbreaking but in my school there wasn't an option to do once you had not done it for for your junior cert that was that you couldn't do it for the leaving cert so that's pretty cool yeah, it's funny. I think different schools based on like how many teachers and, and you know, rooms and space and stuff that they have at their disposal. Um, because I know I think after you had to like pick your subjects and then it kind of only some people might have got their chosen subjects because to a certain point with the timetable. Um, so, yeah, so some people were lucky and some people some people weren't. Um, but I remember, yeah, I got rid of business as soon as I could. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Which is funny because now I have my own business and I'm like, man, I wish I paid attention. Yeah, same here. I did it for the junior sir. And then just that was it. I was done. And yeah. so when you like, OK, your sister had said to you, look, doing this for the junior sir, it's really not fun. And next thing, all of a sudden in transition year, everybody's telling you, well, that's crazy because you really should be doing this. How did you find it then? Uh, yeah, I loved it. Like we, I, I really remember one specific task was we went to magazines and we cut out uh, advertisements or pictures or whatever. And you just, you cut out one half and stuck it to the page. And then you had to complete the other half. And I remember doing that and being so proud of it. And like, I can still remember showing my parents and my parents' friends and all this kind of stuff. Um, and then from then on, it became... It was very kind of private after that. Like I I haven't other than homemade presents and things like that. Like I was only looking through um with boxes and boxes of art from uh you know transition year onwards and it's really really interesting to see like the different moody stages and the different styles and trying out different things because like i thought that style was cool like some of the anime and manga stuff as well um but yeah it kind of just became um, something I did for myself. I loved staying up to like two or three in the morning, knowing that I was the only person awake. It was like a real, like a bubble, like a real special time to spend, just kind of yeah. pottering away, and I'd lose, I'd lose track of time. Wow! And when I suppose most people listening to it, they're thinking, 
yeah, they need to go to bed before that, and that, that caused war in our house. But uh, yeah, I can see how it would be a very nice um, space to be operating in. So then, UCD and art history, like UCD is like it's a fabulous campus, but it's huge. How did yeah. you find it? Because I know some people find that experience a bit overwhelming to begin with. Yeah, it was. I I actually threw myself headlong into it. Um, I was very lucky that myself and my sister and my cousin were able to live in my grandmother's um, old house, which was just beside, just off Bastards Avenue, while they, you know, the aunties and uncles decided what they were going to do with the house. Rather than leaving it empty, we were like, we'll take it. Um, yes, we'll mind it, rather. Uh, so, yeah. And then when I when I was in UCD, I joined, uh, I joined the kayaking club and from then on I was just it was it was great to have like a family on campus and stuff like and then not only just in your year or your class like I I actually had only a handful of people in my year that I knew that were my friends because as well in arts like I studied um, art history in Italian so like in your classes you'd be mixed all over the place because you're doing different modules um, but in the kayaking club like we had the oldies and stuff where older members of the kayaking club who maybe left college and things like that and then there were people who were in final year and so there was all different ages who could kind of show you the ropes as you went and also then just taking up a sport like kayaking getting to go river running and stuff on the weekends was amazing and the partying was was pretty epic too I, I, I hear the uh, water based sports crowd no party uh, I have that unreliable information, a reliable source, I should say. Um, and yeah, and that's a really good point, actually, like having that environment where you do have a mix of people who've been there, done that um, and maybe can give you a bit of perspective if things are becoming a bit stressful, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, definitely. There was days where so we always met in one spot um, in UCD. And if you were at a loose end, you'd always go to the it was this yellow statue in the arts block. And like you'd be you'd have every intention of heading to library and you'd be walking past the yellow statue and you'd see somebody you'd be like oh and you'd either go run a river or end up partying or or something like that but it was great like it was just yeah and also it opens your opportunities right so I didn't have a car or you know kayaking gear or things like that so like people because other people had done it for them would give you lifts you know what i mean they just pick you up and be like this is where we're going today and you're like wow okay where's the adventure taking us and you get lent all the gear and then also like just the guys who were experienced would be able to teach you things and all that kind of stuff it was really really good sounds like a really positive atmosphere to be around yes yes it was really really good and while all of this was going on were you still making art um so during that time no uh i Again, I th- like when I think back on it, I think I, I, during that time I only turned to art when I was um, using it as like a therapy or like a form, of, like a form of expression. Um, in particular, like f- one of the things that I can remember from from being college was um, a friend of ours passed away in the kayaking club, and for her we made a book. Um, some people wrote poetry, and some people wrote just passages of writing. Um. And we added all pictures together of everybody from the kayaking club and and made it for her. And my contribution was just a few sketches that I had done of her. And I remember at the time just being so glad that I had something like that to turn to because it's really methodical and stuff like it was a pencil sketch. 
so you're kind of um meditating on the subject as well um yeah and i remember just being so happy that i had something like that to like my gift to contribute um, and then following that, yeah, again, I remember like there was one time I had a terrible job um, working in benefit in, um, I won't say where, but uh, <laughs> I, so this is when I did my makeup artistry and my special effects and all that kind of stuff. And like to get, to get your foot in the door, you, um, you started working on the counters, the makeup counters and stuff. And I remember just being like, it just, it just didn't suit me um, at all. And I remember I would come home and I would just do, I started doing these charcoal line drawings of figures. And some of them are quite hard to make out um, who they are, but it's, it's kind of funny now looking back when I do, I do my minimal line art figures now, but that was the first of them. <laughs> like, and when I remember when I was studying art history and things, you always felt like it was so obvious how people developed a style. Yeah. Like you'd be like, but looking back in hindsight, you're like, yeah, well, if I was back then, like maybe I would have invented or come up with this or whatever. And now it's funny looking back. I'm like, oh, I did kind of the the seeds were sown back then. Um, yeah, I remember I had like char I'd have paper all over the floor and I'd just be doing uh, these charcoal line drawings. Um, whenever I come home from work. And I think that was a, a form of, of um, I don't know, blowing off steam, I suppose, after work. But yeah. I think one of the things I love about art and talking to artists is that there's this common thread of, OK, now you know me, so you know what my style is. But like it wasn't always like that. I had to put the effort in or like I had to just develop over time the, the particular style. It's not you know, it's the overnight success that maybe takes 10 years to form. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And even um, before that, like like I was saying, when I was looking back in my box of sketchbox, sketchbooks and stuff like that, like some of it was really heavy uh, pencil sketches, like really dark and moody and um and then the teenage years maybe yes yeah and i remember i think i said out to a friend where i was just like i don't want like i it just never occurred to me to this sounds really bad but to to draw happy things you know like whenever the moment took me it was it was like anger or it was you know sadness or something like that and that's what i would put into my drawing and stuff whereas now it's the now it's the opposite and it's just funny, like I now I'm like, why would I sit and meditate over something that, you know, that's upsetting me? Um, it's kind of like I would be holding on to it rather than letting it go. Um, and then but even as like your style, my style develops, like it's I've always been drawing um, figures. So it's always been human bodies um, and or the likeness of. So and then even in the last uh, year or two, I've started doing my oil paintings, which, again, I thought was something that was for like other artists, not me. Uh, so that in, is another kind of um, path that my art has taken me down. But it's always had the, the human figures. Um, so you yeah. mentioned um, a couple of times now this idea that your art is therapeutic or meditative. Um, and are you someone who, like, is it a form of meditation for you? Um, I think a lot of people talk about the, the creative flow, and I think that's kind of the same thing to me. So it's like if I'm... Um, if I'm painting, it may not be a meditation on a subject, but it's like there's space in my brain 
like do you know what I mean it's kind of like it's not busy it, it, it gets quiet and I'm starting to focus on what I'm drawing um, or what I'm painting so I suppose and that's when you kind of realize that the hours slip away um, or like I live I live at home with um, with my parents and my and some of my siblings are still at home as well and you kind of some days you might only notice that the hours are gone by because you can hear other people moving around in the rest of the other end of the house um but i love when you get into creative flow because and a lot of artists and creatives will be able to relate to the fact that some days when you can't get into it it can be like it can be so frustrating um but yeah if i can if i can get into that and you start seeing the tiny differences in like color or shapes and things like that it's um it's definitely nourishing for for my headspace from my own experience of it i always find that my mood changes it's you know when you get into that flow of operation you, you get this energy i'm not quite sure where it comes from to keep going and to sit still or or to continue doing whatever it is and it it is something rather special really i think yeah and i think as well when i was younger and i'd be staying up till three or four in the morning that's kind of where I was at. Like the rest of the world, it sounds like such a cliche, but the rest of the world kind of fades away. And because other people are in bed, everything is quiet and you can easily like kind of feel like there's nobody else around and the rest of the world is asleep and all that. Whereas, I mean, now I wouldn't be staying up till three or four in the morning, but because it's my job, I am afforded the opportunity to start at 9 a.m. And then, you know, I could have a whole day where I'm creating and just getting lost in it. So you mentioned that a couple of years back you were in a stressful job and decided, right, I'm going to give this a go. How did that all come about? Um, it's hard to remember the specifics. And it's funny, I was only just talking to friends of this about this um, over the weekend. And they were like saying that at the time, they were like, but what are you going to do? And I was like, I'm going to do my art. And they said that I never questioned it and that that was just... The, the way it was it was going to do or it was going to happen and they were like cool cool whatever you want to do like whatever you put your mind to you you'll know you'll you'll um you do well so yeah i think it was a culmination of a few things like also in, in my job at the time i had started developing these like chronic pains in my back and in my legs so i was thinking and i i am also quite a fit person so back then i was going to the gym five six days a week so i started blaming my training and then i started blaming like my work hours and my desk and everything and coming up with all of these different reasons for for my pains and uh, going to see doctors and specialists and scans and all this kind of stuff and then so i kind of was at breaking point with that as well because it would hurt to sit at my desk and also it was working with with children so sometimes you'd be in classes sitting on the floor and all this kind of stuff and so i think there was also a part of me that was hoping that if i left that job that the pains would go away as well um yeah and then and i just i've always i think as well towards the end of that job i maybe because of the stress the job and the responsibility responsibilities i was taking on i started to have um you know building confidence and more faith in myself and i was kind of like if i'm working this hard for this person like i can definitely work this hard for myself <laughs> do you know um and then as i left like the the chronic pains um 
haven't gone they hadn't gone away um but over the last year actually i found out that they've act they're psychophysiological so they're kind of um physical learned responses to emotional stress so wow. as the that's, yeah yeah that's that's a lot to take on yeah yeah it's huge to be honest i had spent i had started getting to the stage where i was trying to accept that you know that these pains are here to stay and it did need to affect my quality of life um and i had stopped training as hard and doing all that kind of stuff and i just kind of tried to be i suppose from my meditative side of things i tried to be a little bit more accepting and you know trying not to fight it and let it get to you and then it was after listening to a podcast um just around this time last year and i found out about psychophysiological disorders and then there's a, a woman i've been working with so during lockdown we've been able to do whatsapp calls and things like that so yeah it's it's a lot of it's a lot to um unpack as they say so it, it's That's kind of like yeah, yeah yeah exactly um but yeah so ba- like it's physical responses to learn stress so your your body has learned it and the same as the kind of classical conditioning idea that if somebody starts like describing like a lemon or whatever you're like you're you're gonna salivate and stuff like that uh, and then um or you know the fact that if you cry you know you physically like physically water comes out of your eyes so it's their learned responses so it is a bit to walk back out they say like if it take take sorry if it took you five years to walk into the woods it's going to take you you know you're not just going to walk back out in a day so a lot of it is your is awareness and catching yourself in it and a lot of writing um as well but it's been amazing because again through my work um and my art and having the time the space i've been able to work on myself as well as my business at the same time so um they've kind of it's they've I've been growing at the same time as my business has, you know. And can I ask for people who, for people who don't live with chronic pain or or, or regular occurrences of pain, um, it can be hard to imagine what it's like to, to live in that way. So, how does it how does it affect you? Oh, that's it's hard because it's so different for so many different people. Um, I know for myself, I kind of just like you get to the stage where you get used to them and then you start doing little things differently in your life. Like you'll stop wearing certain clothes because you think, you know, because they might aggravate the pain. So you stop you stop sitting in certain chairs or certain places and you get worried about, you know, going out like I used to love going to festivals and gigs and things and then it got to the stage where i'd be worried about standing for a certain amount of time um or sitting for a certain amount of time and and all that kind of stuff so it it really is a slippery slope and it's a creep so you suddenly one day are like i don't wear half my clothes anymore and you and you realize a lot of it is also um based around kind of so those are all like fears that you're slowly associating with different parts of your life and even though they might be really small you're still doing um avoidant behavior is what it's called so it's cool like now i'm working on reintroducing all that kind of stuff and getting back to being myself really and not kind of filter or altering my life to suit my pains so and I'm delighted to say that they are going away. It's it's been it's wild when you find out that, like we all understand that our brain has 
um, impact on our body physically and all that kind of stuff. But when you actually live it, when you used to have really like severe pains and now they're gone all because you've been working on brain training and writing and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's amazing. You strike me as somebody who's very disciplined. Like, like what your friend said that when you decide you're going to do something, you throw yourself into it. Yeah. Disciplined or stubborn or, (laughs) um, yeah. I mean, I like to, it could be probably called perfectionism. Like I like to do things well and I like to do them right. But on the another hand, it's the whole fail forward thing where I previously might not have tried something if I didn't think I was going to succeed at it or excel at it. So now I'm now I'm trying to take more risks, but actually in a really nice way, I'm proving that I can do a lot of the things that I didn't think I was able to do. Um, but yeah, so it's good. So you mentioned that you told your friends, I'm quitting my job. Um, I'm going to do my art is going to be my full time gig. And they thought, OK, yeah, yeah. Lucy's going to make, make this work. How did you make it work? Uh, for the first one, I didn't. Um, I was I think I was really scared of going back into a job that was just going to get me into the same space like I was. Um, I was in the last job for five and a bit years and I saw it as like, this is a break. You know, you're at a, you're at a crossroads where you can, you know, you can decide where, where you want to go next. Um, because also I've, I'm, when I'm in a job, I like, I am loyal and I like to give it my best. So like leaving was really difficult. So you don't want to get into a situation where like I went for an interview, for example, one person offered me a job and I felt so bad saying no to it because when she offered me the job, I realized that I actually didn't want it. And then I was like, and I wasted her time and I feel so bad and I didn't even like work for them. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so for the first while I was kind of, um, just seeing what was out there. Like, and then it was only when I, um, started working with Bray and area partnership and I got assigned a mentor, um, there and she was the one who like showed me so many things. Like I was doing um, an illustrator course as well. And then she was the one who suggested that I did the postgrad in creative and cultural entrepreneurship. And there is no way I would have come across that on my own. I don't think so. And also, I don't think I would have put myself forward first. Mm. <laughs> like in a really sad way, I think I would have seen it and been like, wow, that would be really good to do if you were an artist. <laughs> like. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, it was really nice to have somebody to kind of point me in the right direction. Yeah. So you now, well, you operate under, I can't, I, I know it's Irish and I shouldn't know how to pronounce it, but it's, um, Idrinalinta, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's the one. Um, yeah. I, I'm afraid of speaking Irish because my father grew up speaking Kerry Irish and I was, I think my teacher was from Mayo. So I was constantly told that my pronunciation was incorrect. Um, <laughs> so that's my inbuilt fear. But um, yeah. so this, the figurative line drawings that you, you have, that you make, well, first of all, they're absolutely gorgeous. And I love seeing every time you post something on Instagram. Thank um, you. I, abs- I just, I think it's beautiful. And the simplicity of it, they're so elegant. How do you get to that point? Um, so, well, when, they first, when I first started doing them, um, I can still remember the first one is a piece called Tipping Point. Um, and 
I think I was just getting, I think it was out of frustration at first. Um, and just like I was saying earlier, like needing to clear space, um, you know, not trying to complicate things, not trying to make things more than what they are or um, add too many frills and things like that. Um, yeah, and I like the simplicity of it and the movement um, and the, the broken lines that were actually kind of um, trying to represent that like it's okay to be incomplete and that things don't need to be spelt out for you either. Like, so it and Alinta means between the lines. So it's like, you can, you might see one of my pieces and it might conjure up a memory for you. And then another person would see, see it and think of something totally different. And one experience might be positive or bad or melancholy or whatever. And I just liked the idea of creating space in art for anyone and everyone, but that there's like a little kindling of something there. Do you know what I mean? So like when they're looking at the piece, there's a little spark there that might, but that might light a different memory in, in each person. You're very, um, we're inundated, how do I put this? We're inundated with images like constantly in the world that we live in. And the, the human body is portrayed in such a way, whether it's the fashion industry or the entertainment industry. And usually the figures that we see are svelte and photoshopped to the nth degree. So they're not in all, like at all realistic, but you're very, there's a realism in your pictures, but there's also a generosity in them in that, you know, you represent people of all different shapes. Is that deliberate? Um, I wouldn't, not deliberate insofar as there's a list of, of um, qualities that I'm kind of trying to take off. It's not like, okay, I've done somebody with a big bum, so that's ticked off or, or anything like that. But I suppose I've just... Um, like even the fact that I don't do faces generally, unless there's it's in a, a portrait, and even then it's very very minimal, um, and they're almost kind of like mannequin type heads and and figures and things, but no, it's it's not on purpose. I think each purse each piece um depends on the weight and the composition in the page, and like some of them, like some of my dancing figures are are you know they've got thicker legs and bigger bums and things like that. And then some of the more kind of, um, there's some more delicate figures and things. So, you know, it's, it's, it's it kind of just happened by accident. Why don't you do faces? Um, I don't, so in the particular, I don't like doing faces, uh, but in particular in the line drawings and things, it makes them look so goofy. Like it's actually, it's actually really hard to do um, a minimal face and make it look um, match the rest of the style. Like even in some of, so I do line art commissions, so they'd be based on portraits of, of people and photographs and things like that. And some of them I'll kind of, if the person, the customer, whoever has ordered, ordered it, I'll give them an example. If they really, really want a face in it, I'll show them what it looks like with the face <laughs> and then they can choose. But most of the time you can see then that it, it kind of, I think it takes away from the rest of the piece because a lot of it is, you know, the, the intrigue in those portraits is the negative spacing and, um, and all of that. And then when you're sucked into the, 
to the face of it, it kind of draws the attention straight in. From what I've seen of your oil painting work, there is there's definitely a signature style coming through, do you think? Oh, I with my oil painting, I don't I'm I'm not sure yet. Okay. I am um, I'm just I love it. Like so beforehand I was working with um watercolors and watercolors are so unforgiving. Like there's there's a, some ways you can save it if you've put down a miss mark or whatever. You can kind of dab the page and you can save it, but you only get so many chances like get a jail free cards like that. Whereas with the oil painting, I love that you can just keep going on a space and you know you can add to it and cover it entirely if you don't want to and then also just the oils and the pigments and stuff they're just so creamy and the like mixing them and smooth i just love them whereas beforehand i thought that you had to be basically a chemist or some form of scientist to be able to work with oils like you hear people mixing their mediums and their their um i can't even remember the name now but like you know because the the idea with oil painting is you have to paint uh fat on lean so that the top layers are drying slower than the bottom layers um, and the, uh, otherwise it'll crack whereas now that i understand that <laughs> that's kind of that's the basics whereas it's at the before i had started looking into it i thought that was the tip of the iceberg and that it just got more and more complicated as you went in granted i know there are like old school renaissance um type methods and there are loads of different ways of oil painting um but and one of the best pieces of advice i got this year i did a course in um in Enniscary in the schoolhouse of art i did a nude oil painting course and the teacher um told us that to just if you can avoid mediums altogether then then do that so the last while i've been i've been doing that and i yeah it's it's really good um yeah i think it's the way you describe it there because oil painting does it has a reputation for being very difficult and very challenging um and even like there's i think you have to be careful in how you dispose of all the different elements that you oh yeah use of with, with oil painting but it, it's great to hear you say that actually it's not as convoluted as i thought it might have been yeah because even when i went to the course like i went to this oil paint course and it was great because you almost had a list of stationery or you know of equipment rather it was like before school or whatever when you get your school book list and i was going into art shops being like oh no i have to buy all of these lovely materials for this course and i had all my bits and bobs and standby and I, i was waiting for him to tell us to you know get your mediums out or do this or whatever and it never happened and i said and then other people in the class were kind of doing it of their own volition and stuff. And I was like, I haven't um, done this before. So I was like, I'm not doing anything unless I'm instructed to. And yeah, and then that was when I asked him and he was like, yeah, if you can avoid it, he was like, because all you're doing is adding more oil to the to the page and it's just going to take longer to to dry. Or if you're adding um, you have, you can add like spirits and stuff to make it leaner and then he's like and then you're just kind of diluting the the canvas and all this kind of stuff grant and i i mean i hope i'm not breaking any oil painting rules here <laughs> as a novice but he was like if you can avoid them do and i was like oh yeah because yeah that's great but i love it like it's been such a treat to be able to um i like i did the a big oil painting of my little sister and it was just so nice to be able to pick out the colors i think also as well after working in black and white for so long and my minimal line drawings it's kind of like um 
like a palate cleanser. Like I do one for a while and then I go back to the other and then, so yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask you that, is is the variety of having the two different ways of operating um, fulfilling for you? Yeah, I have to say um, last month or the month beforehand, I kind of felt like a split person. Like I, I was trying to tie the two of them together because especially as a business, you're... <laughs> Your and you remember this from our course actually yes. your your value proposition and and your ideal customer and all that kind of stuff are totally like for both my oil paintings and my minimal line art are going to be different audiences and different so like part I nearly I nearly decided to split it so that I would have Lucy Cullen oil painting and then Ida Nalinta and then at the end I was like no I don't need to I don't well for now I don't need to split myself I can definitely marry them under like figurative art and um appreciation of human human figures yeah and it's great and I look that course um uh Gillian Roddy um has been a guest on the podcast recently and like that course was absolutely excellent and definitely gave me huge confidence but there is that element of okay now I have to put all of this into action don't I um yeah one of the things that I've noticed that you have started doing of late is talking publicly say using your social medias to talk about <laughs> your art as a business and yeah that's not done by an awful lot of artists why have you decided to do that um, so I, I, well, I suppose I want to be able to do this full time and in order to be able to do that, I can't, I need to start thinking about as a business. Um, you know, you hear people, there might be some people who would create one piece of art every however long because it's not their main income. Um, and they can, they can work away in their masterpiece in the background. So, and I actually also, am a part of the Bite the Biscuit mentor um, group as well. Tara Prendergast did one of our, or a bunch of our lectures for the post-grad course as well. So I work with her um, and other artists in uh, the mentor group called the Biscuit Factory. So it's great to be around because you're also working on your own most of the time. So it's really nice to be able to be in a group with other people and other artists who are also making, um, making a living out of what they do. And I think I remember in one of our very first classes, remember Carl asked, oh no, you were, you were in the different module to me, but I remember in our group anyway, Carl asked us who wants to sell out? Because he was basically trying to make the point of why do artists have to sell out to make money? He was like, if, if an artist makes money out of their work, they get, people say that that's them selling out when it's like, no, they're just, being rewarded for their talents and their and their work um so that is something that's kind of rattled around in my head as well whereas like you can't and also being a creative entrepreneur like you know you're an artist and your business is your art so um as i've married it together and then recently um especially with i did like a sale and stuff recently and had to really get in front of the camera and and you know, do all the marketing and all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's really good, it's a real vote of confidence as well. And as somebody who, like you, as I understand it, you work from home, you are, like it's just you, that's the business, and you and what you can do in a given day. How do you then structure your days? So 
you know, when you don't have a boss that you have to turn up to work for at, at 9 a.m., you could if you wanted to have a lie-in. So what, what's it like being your own boss and, and having to put some kind of structure in place? Uh, yeah, it's it's really difficult. Uh, there have been days where I've, I have wished I had a boss, which is funny because <laughs> uh, for so long I didn't want one. Um, yeah, it's hard. Like some days the momentum isn't there and it's difficult as well when there's not an obvious structure like so for example in my last job there was you knew what the calendar for the year looked like like you knew what months were going to be busy and what were going to be quiet and you knew what events were coming up and things like that so that it was kind of you could really plan and prepare whereas like when i'm on my own on the one hand everything is a possibility and then on the other hand everything is a possibility so you're like how to land on one thing or pick one thing um can be really difficult uh, as well as that like doing my art the days that i do my art i could paint like i said from 9 a.m till 9 p.m um and that can like it's not lost hours but it can sometimes feel like lost hours from the business side of things um but especially be in the um, Bite the Biscuit, the Biscuit Factory, there are accountability calls and things like that. So on a Monday morning, say at 10 a.m., you sign on, it's a Zoom call, and there's loads of us who are all working from home uh, or from their studios and stuff like that. And you kind of say what your plan is for the week and you work out um, a bit of a schedule and it's, yeah, just being accountable. So that really, really helps because you have other people who, you know, you've said that you're going to do this and this and this, so they're watching. Um, but yeah, it can be really, really hard, but it can be really, really rewarding when you when you have the discipline to do it. There is something, I think, very effective about telling other people that you're going to do something, then you, I don't know what it is, the psychology of it, I don't, just, maybe I should get a psychologist on to explain it. But Absolutely, yeah. You know, like, what is it about the fact that when you say to somebody else, I'm committed, I'm going to be doing this nine to five Monday to Friday, and I'm going to make X amount of paintings this week or whatever it might be that well the following Monday they're like well okay and that feeling of well I well I can't say that I didn't do it yeah social contracts I had a friend that got big into social contracts a few years ago and he was going around promising everybody like making all these plans and then telling people he's like now you have to keep me accountable and all this kind of stuff but even on my social media like um when I was promoting the VIP print sale that I did uh, last week, I would post to be like, I'm going live in 10 minutes to talk about this. And after I said, I'd be like, I, go, I need to do this now. I can I can do this. Um, but yeah, it helps to also, yeah, keep a fire under you, I suppose. Are you still enjoying your work? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. Would you, would you stay working for yourself full time, do you think, for the foreseeable? Yeah, I mean, if I as long as I can, I will. Um, but again, one of the things as well is like whatever happens, like I might not be doing my line art or my oil painting, but I'll do the next thing, like whatever comes up next, I'll be able to do. So I would love to work with other artists as well and do pro like bigger projects. Like whenever I go to festivals and stuff and you see those massive sculptures and those massive installations, I'm always like, how do you even start making that like where where are the people who are making these wonderful things so what I would like to look into that kind of stuff in the future um but I have even in my head penciled in for January so after Christmas being the very busy period um I'm going to go offline hopefully for January and just paint and make art and stuff because 
I really want to do an exhibition next year. Um, where And luckily, this so far, a lot of my work is all commission based. So it already belongs to someone else, you know, like before I've even started making it. So I'd love to do maybe January, February next year um, and to start getting a, a collection of work together and then do an exhibition next year as well. Well, you've just told the world that you're going to do it. So you're absolutely happy. After our conversation there about social contracts, yeah. (laughs) This is the ultimate accountability. Lucy Cullen, I ask this of everybody, but I think in your work, like you really are very, very talented at telling a story in an image. So I'm curious as to what storytelling means to you. Oh, storytelling. Oh, it's funny, just as you said that, the thing that popped into my head was just my dad reading me stories as a kid. So (laughs) it's funny that that was the very first thing that comes into my mind. I think storytelling is, um, I mean, obviously it's an art form, but it's also like a a comfort, I suppose. It's kind of, yeah, it's creating space and a world and um, magic and all that kind of stuff. That's what comes into my mind straight away. I think in your line drawings and your figurative art, you you definitely achieve that. It has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you tonight. Um, Likewise. How can people find you if they've enjoyed hearing from you? Um, They can find me on Instagram. It's idernalinta. And then my website is www.idernalinta.ie. Thank you very much for your time and for joining us on Ireland Creates. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please do feel free to share it and remember to subscribe or follow to Ireland Creates on your preferred podcast platform. If you'd like to work with me directly and find out more about communications coaching, you can get in touch through ashlingorourke.com. The podcast artwork is by clairecreative.com and the theme tune is by createschool.ie. Thanks again for listening. Stay safe. I hope you have a peaceful and enjoyable Christmas break and I'll be back with another episode of Ireland Creates in January.